Hello, and welcome to this talk from Hersham Baptist Church. My name is Phil. I'm the pastor of the church here. It's great to have you with us. We're here to provide great Christian content to help us all to be courageous in mission, Bible-saturated, spirit-dependent, and loving of others. If this is your first time or you're new here, then please hit like and subscribe below to stay in touch. And you can also get in contact with me through the email you can see next to me on the screen or the other means you can see next to me on the screen, or by emailing through the link in the show notes below. We have regular prayer meetings on Zoom, life groups and Alpha course and various other activities that run through the church. And we'd love to get you involved in that so that we can support you. Why not take a moment to email me right now and we can get you in touch with someone who can help you. If you are someone who'd like to meet together with others in person, perhaps you're feeling frustrated by the rule of six and the inability to meet in other social contexts and you'd like to gather with some others to worship and to see people, then why not come along and join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10.30? We're on Arch Road in Hersham. We'd love to see you along. We've got a full kids' work, all perfectly COVID-secure, and a, a worship service that's set up to help you to engage with God and to see and be in the same place as other people. We want to be a worshipping community, supporting one another at this difficult time. I'm going to pray in a moment, and then we're going to look at God's word together. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray that you would help me to preach, that you'd help us to listen, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would help us to come closer to Jesus and to be changed to be like him. Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a series of talks thinking about the big ideas that we need if we're going to live well. The values that can help us to live well. We've called it 10 rules for life. These are the 10 rules that if we do them, we will find that we flourish and live as God intended for us to be. And it's important every time we come to one of these for me to repeat that we're not saying that if you follow these rules, that's what will make you right with God. Or that if you can't follow these rules perfectly, then you'll never be able to be right with God. We come into a relationship with God, we receive his spirit by trusting in what Jesus has done and by turning away from our self-reliance and self-trust. That's what we call repenting and faith. And it's what brings us into a relationship with him. But these rules help us to understand how it is that God wants us to live. What the kind of manual is for for human beings living well. There are ten of them, ten rules for life. If you haven't seen the first few of these talks, then you might want to go back and check them out after you've listened to this one. Because they set some of the groundwork for what I'm talking about. And the rules actually build on each other. So each one builds a little bit more on the ones that came before. So why not go back and check them out? after we finish today. Each week we like to summarise the rule in a slightly different way than we've maybe thought about it before. So here's my lunchtime summary of God's second, sorry, of God's third rule for life. It's this. To live well, we must respect God's name in what we do and say. To live well, we must respect God's name in what we do and what we say. If we want to live well, we must respect God's name in what we do and what we say. Well, these ten rules for life are summarised in several places in the Bible. And this is how the first three, which is what we've got to so far, are set out in Exodus 20. I'm reading from Exodus 20 and verse 1. God spoke all these words. It's interesting to pause there. 
These are commands that are from God. They're not simply human ideas. This is what the God of, who knows all things intends us to hear as a way to live. He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God and the Lord Jesus Christ is to be the ultimate good in our lives. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or in some older translations, it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses or takes in vain his name. And that's the rule we're thinking about this morning, that third one. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now at this point, it's helpful, I think, for us to notice that God's commands, God's rules for life, are moving a little bit. They're building on one another. The focus is shifting from, first of all, who God is, and and what the ultimate thing we worship is, to secondly, how we understand who God is. That's what the image the prohibition on images is about. You can check that out from last week. Not remaking God in our image, but letting him be who he wants to be and respecting that and worshipping him for it. And now we get into the third one, which is that we should respect his name, who he is, in our lives and the way that we interact with the world. Gradually the focus is moving from just purely being on God towards changing to how we live in the world around us. It raises three questions that I'm going to answer this morning. What does the name of God stand for? Why does it matter how we treat, how we respect God's name? What does it mean to take it, to use God's name? Is it just talking about when we speak or when we act? What does it mean to to take or to use God's name? And what does it mean to misuse God's name or to take it in vain? I want to think about each of those three things. So first of all, what's in a name? In the middle of the second act of Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare raises a question that's at the heart of the third rule. Why do names matter? Why does it matter what someone's name is? In the play up to that point, we have two families at war with one another. Their children, Romeo and Juliet, fall in love. And once they know they're from rival families, they begin to wonder whether it really matters. So Juliet starts to wonder aloud in Act 2 whether Romeo's name, whether his family actually matters or whether it's irrelevant. She famously stands on the balcony talking to the sky at night, not knowing that Romeo is watching her and wondering aloud, Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father, refuse thy name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other word, would smell as sweet. In other words, she's saying, why do you have to be called Romeo? 
Surely it doesn't matter what your name is. I could call you Bill and you'd be the same person. If I took a rose and I sniffed it and I said this is a Jacoby, it wouldn't change the smell of the rose. It's just a name. On the off chance that you haven't seen the rest of the play, I won't tell you the ending, but it explores exactly why Juliet is wrong when she says this. Romeo's name matters. Not because of the word, there's no magic in the sound, Romeo, but because of what it stands for, because it represents his identity, because there is something bound up in it that she hasn't thought through. As he often did, Shakespeare, when he was writing Romeo and Juliet, echoed themes that we find in the Bible. In the Bible, God's name is not simply a word that we use to refer to him. It stands for who he is, his identity, his character, his power. So in the Old Testament, that's the writing that came before Jesus, we find God's name associated with his power. It provides safety. It's to be feared. It's worthy of praise and exaltation. In other words, the way that the name of God is used in the Old Testament stands for how we relate to God himself. What's more, when people came in God's name, they came with his authority. To take up God's name, to claim it for oneself, is to hold oneself out as acting on his behalf and claiming his backing, his reputation and his power are with you. This carries on into the New Testament with the name of Jesus. In this way, it says, salvation is available to all who will call upon Jesus' name. Miracles and acts of power are done in Jesus' name. Ultimately, St. Paul understands the name of Jesus to be the supreme authority and good in the world. As he writes in those words to the Philippians, to which we keep returning when he's kind of meditating on what the first three commands mean and how they apply to Jesus, he says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name matters because it stands for the person behind it. So what does it mean to take the name? If we use that slightly older version of this uh, command, of this rule, how do we take the name of the Lord our God? How do we use his name? to use the more modern translation. We take this name, we use it when we identify with Jesus in what we say and what we do. Christians are baptised in the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name. St Paul writes in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we become Christians, we are with Jesus. We're taking his name on us. We say, I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. This then characterises everything we do. We're no longer acting in our own name. We're acting as Jesus on his behalf. As St Paul instructs us in, in Colossians 3 and verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now I'm slightly labouring this point to try and answer Juliet's question. When we speak about how we treat God's name, we're not merely talking about the way we use a particular word. When we talk about the, the exalting the name of God, it's not that the word God is more uh, special in some way, like some kind of magic formula than any other word. God's name, Jesus' name, speaks about something far more profound than that. How we represent who he is, what he values and what he does. And we don't only take God's name when we speak. We don't only use God's name when we speak. It's not simply when we say the word God or we say the word Jesus that we're taking or using God's name. If we're followers of Jesus, then our whole lives are bound up with his name. Everything we do takes his name. Even the word Christians means little Christs. We are literally named after him. This is a huge privilege. We're known as children of God, as little versions of Jesus, the most influential and greatest man who ever lived. We are representatives of the most glorious human being who's ever walked this planet. We are part of a movement that has done more to transform the world than any other in human history and holds out the promise, the only real promise, of hope for its future. Now, I'm a, I'm a great lover of football, and it's been a wonderful week for me as a Tottenham fan. We've seen transfers coming in, one after another, and uh, perhaps most beautifully when we saw Gareth Bale coming back to Spurs, his spiritual and rightful home, pulling on the kit and looking in the camera and saying, I'm a Spurs player, I'm so proud to be back at the club. You get this very often with young players, particularly when they walk out for a club, when they come to, to, to put on the shirt, to, to embrace everything about it. And they say, I am part of this. I'm a representative of PSG or Man United or Tottenham or Wimbledon or whoever it is. I'm on their team. I bear their name. Literally, the footballer bears the name of his team across his heart. He takes their name with him. That's a tiny, infinitesimal picture of the position of a Christian bearing the name of Jesus. What then does it mean to take God's name in vain, to use the older translation, or to treat it worthlessly, as newer ones put it? We take God's name in vain. We make it worthless when we empty it of power and truth. Portray it falsely or make it useless. We make it worthless when we disrespect it. 
when we treat it as if it's worth nothing, when we scorn God's presence or power and misrepresent him to others. How can we do this? We can do it through the way that we behave and the way that we speak. See, just as we take the name of Jesus, just as we use the name of Jesus in all that we say and we do, that's with St Paul's words, so we can take his name in vain, we can use it worthlessly in all that we say and we do. When Christians treat others in a way that misrepresents what God says and thinks about them, we take his name in vain, we make it worthless. We're acting as bad representatives. It's like we're a footballer who's put on his club uh, tracksuit or club uh, uniform and gone out into a bar and begun a fight. We are taking the club's name in vain. We're making it worthless. We're saying this is how they they behave. When we claim God's approval for causes that he never endorsed, we take his name in vain. We're misusing it. When we speak as if Jesus doesn't really matter to us or disrespect him, or portray him falsely, we take God's name in vain. Now this obviously includes everything we would normally call blasphemy. right? It obviously shows a lack of respect to use someone's name as a punchline or a swear word or an exclamation when something's gone wrong. It's just bad manners as much as anything else. It's disrespectful. It's treating the person as if they're not worthy of our respect. But it's so much more than this. We're representatives of Jesus. As Christians, we're representatives of Jesus. We shouldn't do anything that misrepresents him or causes others to think poorly of him. We shouldn't speak in a way that diminishes him or reviles him. Instead, we should, make, we should speak and act in a way that makes others want to join his team. So think again about the footballer. We should be uh, a, a role model That's what they call footballers, isn't it? We we should make everyone else who's watching us want to play for us or play with us because of the way that we behave. Because if this is what that team is like, if this is what their manager, their owner is like, then goodness me, I want to be with them. And that should be the way that everyone responds to us. If that's what Jesus is like, then I want him. I want to be with him. Glorifying him, showing his greatness to the world around us. What are the practical steps we can take in response to this? Well, the first thing to do is to get to know Jesus. If you're sick of fighting for yourself, of carrying the weight of everything you've ever said or done or continue to do. If you're struggling with the knowledge that you are not who you ought to be. And to be honest, I think that's every single one of us at some time or another. Then God's word to you this morning is trust Jesus, turn from your old life and get baptised. The Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. He wants to take all your guilt, all your shame and sin and replace it with his love and peace and power. To adapt my football analogy... The greatest manager ever wants to come and get you and pay for you out of his own pocket so that you can join him and he can give you everything he possibly can. He's done all that's necessary. What you have to do is say yes and come and join him. For those who've started to follow Jesus, we need to take seriously the idea that we are ambassadors for him. That's what the third rule is getting at. 
we bear his name. In our dealings with others, we're not only representing ourselves, but Jesus. We've taken his name and now we need to use it properly. And this embraces everything we do. And obviously, if you go away and meditate and think about this for yourself, you'll be able to come up with a list that's far better and more suited to you than mine. But here are some practical suggestions. I want to make three areas where I think this might affect the way that we live in practice. First, we should behave with love towards others. Genuinely seeking the good of those we meet. That doesn't mean always telling them what they want to hear. It's not loving to simply go along with what everyone else says or to pretend that everything's fine when it's not. But we should always, even in those times, be totally committed to the good of others. We should always, in all that we do, be committed to the good of others. When we do that, we represent Jesus truly and rightly. Secondly, we want to be careful what we claim God's support for when we claim explicitly to be acting in his name. It's fine to campaign for stuff. It's fine to have strong opinions. But most of the time, I want to suggest, we want to be careful that we don't end up thinking or saying or making out that our opinions are necessarily what God thinks about something. I'm not talking about religious opinions, about who Jesus is and stuff, but particularly about politics or other areas that are similar to that. We want to be careful that we don't associate God with our particular political programme and claim his authority for it. Now, that's going to mean different things to different people. My impression is, it's just my impression, it might not be your experience, but that in America, for example, this is a temptation that particularly attracts the right. So we have that phrase, the religious right, the that uh, at various times in a US political history, those on the right have claimed the name of God in support of their cause. With the idea implicit in that, that if you don't support us, you're not only rejecting our political programme, you're not only voting Democrat rather than Republican, you're actually actively rejecting God and what he wants. In the UK, it is much more associated with the political left. Certainly in my experience. So that if you don't vote or campaign in a particular way on social issues, with a particular programme of reform and a way of viewing the welfare state, for example, you are not only uh, rejecting the Labour Party or the Liberal Democratic Party or whatever it happens to be, but you are actively setting yourself up against God. And I want to say that both the American predisposition towards the religious right and the UK's uh, emphasis on the religious left are wrong. They are wrong. Neither is helpful. Now, our faith should absolutely inform our values. It cannot do otherwise. The idea that there is a a person out there, whether religious or not, whose belief about what life is about doesn't affect what they think about politics is for the birds. Of course it does. I am resolute in my values, and I believe, for example, that life is sacred, I believe that the taking of life in the form of uh, activities such as abortion and other uh, similar actions is wrong. I believe that poverty is to be fought. I believe that immigrants are to be treated with compassion and kindness, that, that nation states should care for their people. All of these are values that I hope that every Christian holds. 
that we believe in the value of life, that we believe in the, in the, in the, in the sanctity of life, that we believe in fighting poverty. But I can quite see how different Christians, different people believing in the same things can come to very different policy answers about what we should actually do. It's perfectly fine and reasonable for, for, for one Christian to believe that cutting taxes and generating employment through the private sector is a faster way to get people out of poverty than simply raising taxes and increasing benefits. That doesn't mean that, uh, that they are not a Christian. It's fine for another Christian, for example, to believe that we should raise taxes and pursue a socialist programme of nationalising industry in order to, to fight poverty in that way. If either one of them says, my view is God's view, then we have a problem. And that becomes a subtle temptation for everyone. I'm labouring this point a little bit now, because it seems to me that politics is coming to affect everything and every area of life, and that we are increasingly tempted as Christians to take one side or another. And that's fine as individuals, but be careful that we don't end up saying, Christians vote blue or Christians vote red or Christians vote yellow or Christians vote green. To do so is dangerously close to taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. It also makes it harder for us to love one another and to treat each other with compassion. So that was number two and that was a slightly longer one but number three is easy. Don't blaspheme. Let's not be people who say Jesus Christ when we're upset, or say, oh my God. It might sound difficult or ridiculous to say that the the letters OMG in a text message have anything spiritual at all. And maybe I am being silly. But for me, it feels like if I really respect someone, if I really take them seriously, if they're really the ultimate good in my life, I don't want to speak cheaply of them. I don't want to diminish them or do them down. It's the same reason I don't put my wife down in public. Why would I want anyone to think worse of her or to imagine that I think worse of her? I love her. She's wonderful. And I want you to think the same. So when I speak of her in public, I use her name, I use her character, I speak of her well. We should be the same with God. These are some suggestions that occur to me. There will be others that probably occur to you. Take them seriously. We have a calling to bring light and hope to the world through the name of Jesus. There's power in his name. We've seen people healed of the most extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. So let's do it right. To live well, we must respect God's name in what we say and what we do. Stay with us for communion.